Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. and welcome to New Books in Art. I am the host, Lorena Turner. I am a lecturer in the Communication Department at the California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California. Today I spoke with Ken Light, a documentary photographer, on his new book, What's Going On, 1969 to 1974. His book is a selection of personal and professional work that he did as a photographer from the early 1970s when he was in college in Ohio. He talks with us about his work as well as what drove him to want to work in photography and why he still prefers to shoot on film. I'm talking today to Ken Light, the author of the new book, What's Going On, 1969 to 1974. Ken is a freelance documentary photographer and teaches at the Graduate School in Journalism at the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Where are you from? What's your education? How did you get interested in photography? So um, I was born in the Bronx. And um, when I was very young, three years old, my parents moved out to Long Island, um, which would have been 1954. And um, I grew up in uh, the new suburbia. So the town I lived in was right next to Levittown, which was the first I want to say, not manufactured, but the first developed suburbia in America after World War II when the men came home from the war. Um, I uh, was, My dad was an amateur photographer, um, so I was around his camera, and every once in a while he let me take family pictures. And I, um, I grew up uh, in suburbia, white, white suburbia, white, white suburbia, um, but my dad and my grandfather worked in uh, Spanish Harlem in New York City. My grandfather owned a furniture store. And so I would go from this suburban environment uh, into, into Harlem, which was, as you can imagine, the sounds, the smells, the sights. Um, and the, the poverty was so different than when I, where I was uh, growing up. And it kind of um, made me realize that there was this whole other world out there that I guess has really informed my uh, photographic work over the last 45 years. Um, I I went off to college in 1969 um, to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio, and immediately immersed myself in both the the, um, school newspaper, which was a daily, and also in the anti-war movement. So in that era, um, you you could avoid the draft if you went to college, um, you, you received a student deferment, um, and I began to, uh, work with, uh, some newly found friends creating the Athens Peace Committee, and we organized, um, the campus around, uh, the war, around, uh, racism, poverty, all, all the issues of, of that, uh, era. Um, I had a camera, um, I had in high school dabbled in photography, uh, but it didn't really click for me that I could really photograph the world around me in high school, at least, which is kind of sad when I look back. <laughs> um, but 
I began to photograph in 69, and I guess my um, earliest photographs were uh, during the Vietnam moratorium, in which we sent bu- busloads from our school to march, uh, in which was one of, at that time one of the largest anti-war uh, demonstrations in the history of America in Washington, D.C. Um, I guess that moment I kind of, you know, thought, oh, this is, this is really uh, good, but I was, I was really in two worlds. I was starting to take photography, and I was still uh, actively involved um, as, a, as a campus radical um, and organizer. Um, really, for me, the moment of deciding to become a photographer um, happened in April, on April 29th, 1970. Um, we, we came out of a long, cold winter. Um, we had been organizing during the winter, um, doing various, we, we actually built, um, a, a shanty town on the college green called Pinkville, um, um, based on a a massacre that had happened in, in, uh, South Vietnam. And we lived in the cardboard shanties, uh, for a couple days to draw attention to the anti-war movement. Um, and so, People were organizing, and when the spring came, um, we saw a, a large increase of the number of um, students who became active. And partly, it was around voting. We couldn't vote, so um, if you were eighteen, I was eighteen years old. Um, the, the legal voting age at that time was twenty-one, um, and so there was this, you know. Um, absurdity that you could go to war and, and die in war, but you couldn't, and you could drink beer, but you could not vote in America. Um, and so um, we organized rallies and demonstrations, and a big part of this was um, not only anti-war activity, but the feminist movement was gathering uh, amazing steam in our, in our college town, and the idea that there would be feminist studies, for example, which the administration said, why? Why do girls want to have feminist studies? Mm -hmm. I mean, black studies, I mean, these things today people take for granted, but these are really um, um, academic pursuits that that came out of uh, this era of students fighting uh, uh, for their voices to be heard and uh, to open up the university to... um, people other than white males, which is what it had been historically. Um, so uh, we, we organized, and this was happening all over America on many college campuses. And in um, late August, um, Ohio State University, which was about uh, 45 minutes north of where I was going to school, um, they had had um, the similar issues, and the administration just didn't know we're not no black studies, no women's studies, no go back to class. No, we don't, we, you know, ROTC staying here. Campus recruiters can come. And um, the students there erupted in uh, what, what ended up becoming a massive riot. Um, and um, the governor at the time, James Rhodes, um, called out the National Guard to be on campus the next day to put down, in case there were demonstrations uh, in case they continued, um, I I hitchhiked up to um, Columbus with my 35 millimeter camera and five or six rolls of film and a gas mask, which I had with me. Um, and when I arrived on their campus in Columbus, which was also the capital um, of Ohio, um, there were there were the National Guard deployed on the College Green and hundreds of students. Um, 
you know, enraged, not only enraged about the issues that they've been fighting for, but now enraged that your campus is occupied by soldiers, uh, National Guard soldiers with helmets and guns and fixed bayonets. And all of a sudden they start throwing tear gas uh, at the students to try to break them up. And um, this, this was a very radicalizing moment for, the, for their campus in particular, because the photographs I made that day show students with their books in their arms, you know, and you can only imagine the experience of walking out of classroom and being apolitical, um, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, there's a tear gas canister right in front of you. Um, and so I began to photograph, um, and after about an hour of, of photographing, of which um, kind of make, are the centerpiece of my new book, um, I was actually arrested. Uh, by the the highway patrol, um, which which grabbed me from behind and handcuffed me and took me to a paddy wagon, and um, I said I'm a journalist. I have a press pass, which was um, on my jacket. They they grabbed the press pass, they ripped it up into pieces and threw it up in the air and said not anymore. And I went to jail with about 300 other demonstrators uh, that that day. Um, when I got out the next day. Um, I actually was given back my gas mask, a paper bag, which had my camera and my film. Um, I, I went, I hitchhiked back to um, Athens, developed the film, made prints, uh, eight by 10 prints, and sent them to Liberation News Service in New York City. Liberation News Service was, at that time, the, um, the Associated Press of Underground Newspapers. So in 1970, 6970, there were about 650 underground newspapers throughout America in almost every large city and many small cities and college campuses. Um, they, they published those photographs just at the moment that Kent State happened. So... Five days after, five or six days after my arrest and making these photographs, the same National Guard was sent to Kent, where, which had similar rioting, and that's where the four students were shot by the National Guard. Um, my photographs of the Guard and that day um, in Columbus were published uh, all over the world. I mean, uh, you know, Africa, Europe, Cuba, Latin America, and, and of course, throughout the U.S. and underground newspapers. And it was like, you know, I'm 19 years old. Um, you just look at that and you realize, wow, I, I have a voice. I, I can witness my world, which was not really being witnessed. Uh, if you look at the, the mainstream media of that era, they, you know, they were calling us dirty hippies, long-haired radicals. You know, uh, they, weren't, they weren't covering our music. They weren't covering our, our politics, our culture. Um, and I realized that photography was an incredibly powerful voice to witness the things around you that you felt needed to be seen, the things around you that needed to be changed. And that was, that was the pivotal moment for me where um, I decided I was going to try to be a photographer. Hmm. So, so uh, a question that I have in listening to all of that is, is at that time you probably you thought of yourself as a journalist or photojournalist, but now you're calling yourself, um, as I as I read on your bio, you were calling yourself a documentary photographer. And yes. how how do you how do you differentiate between those two kind of titles or descriptions? Yeah, so I think my early work was 
based on um, more event-oriented. So I would go to this event or that event. And I was really too young um, and not knowledgeable about the history of photography um, to, to understand that um, one could be a very big storyteller. So I think the difference to me is a documentary photographer would be a, a photographer who really spends months or years working on a specific idea or a specific project and, and dives into that in a, in a very deep way um, and not just skims the surface. Uh, I think that photojournalism tends to be something that is assigned to you, uh, go to this event, go to that event. It can be um, you're there for two hours, you make an illustration, and, and photojournalists are incredibly talented, newspaper photographers, very, very, very talented. I mean, they're able to go to an event for two hours or three hours and to pull out a, a, a moment. But there, there's no long-term thread to what they're doing. Uh, there's no long-term storyline. Story Each story is a, is a very short um, moment. Uh, so for documentary photographers, the, the storyline is um, and, the, and the theme is incredibly, incredibly important. Um, and so that, that's really um, where I moved. I began to, I mean, shortly after I made these photographs in 1970, I began to dive into um, doing longer stories. I, I photographed a shoe factory in, in Athens for, for almost a year. I did a, a project on high school students. Uh, going to many different high schools, photographing, and then um, m many other uh, projects over my career have have evolved that way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so we're we're talking about your book, "What's Going On, nineteen sixty nine to 1974. and this is your, I believe, it's your ninth book. Is that correct? It's my ninth book. Yes, your ninth book. Um, so, how did this book come about, and why do you think uh, it, it's it's published this year, two thousand sixteen? Why do you think two thousand sixteen is the right time to tell these stories? So, I've been looking at this work for many years. I mean, the wonderful thing about the old technology film is it's a very stable platform, mm -hmm. and so um, you know you have contact sheets, you have the negatives. Uh, I was I was very keep, careful at keeping those organized in file cabinets, and as I moved from place to place, they always traveled with me. And I had um, uh, prints that I had made over the years, and I kept going back to look at the work, and, the, and it kept growing and growing. Um, and um, literally, um, I, I've been trying to do this book probably, I want to say, for maybe five five or six years. As I was doing these other projects, it, all, it always would kind of rise to the surface, and I would say, oh, I should really do this book. In fact, I reached out to a number of um, different uh, traditional publishers, and you know, they, would, they would say, we, we love these pictures, but we hate Nixon, or uh, they, they would say, yes, these pictures are great, but we've seen them before. I mean, there would always be some sort of excuse. There would be love thrown at me, and then there would be some sort of rejection. Um, and finally, I decided... Um, this work was was important to be seen. This era was important to be seen. And I think part of it came out of, you know, Occupy um, and, and witnessing the Occupy movement. And then also, of course, witnessing what's happening now with, with um, Ferguson and the National Guard being called out and Black Lives Matter. And um, now we have in San Francisco 
um, you know, uh, young young people um, going on hunger strike, the, the, the Frisco Five, um, that it really is um, kind of a mirror image of what we did in the 60s of, of young people um, wanting to see change faster than it was happening, of um, of demonstrating, of going into the street, of of trying to trying to have a, a voice, um, and so uh, one of the one of the great things of the new technologies um, is Kickstarter, and so I decided um, I, I I mean I've done I did eight other books I've been on press for all my books I've worked with all my publishers I've sequenced the pictures I've gone out and get gotten uh, writers to write for the books. So I'm, I'm pretty well schooled in how you do a book. Um, but there was something special about this book that, that was really deep within my spirit that not that my other books aren't, but I really wanted to have complete control of the process. I didn't want a editor saying, no, it's too many pictures or, no, here's, you know, here's the cover. And, I, and, and this office often would happen when they show you a cover and you say, well, I don't quite like the type. And they go, no, we can't change it. We have to go. We have a deadline. That, that's it. This is what we're doing. I didn't want to have that experience. And um, with the new technologies, you have Kickstarter and the ability to kind of crowdsource and go out into your community, um, your own community, but also reach out into other communities and try to raise the money to do it yourself. And so I decided I would, um, I would do this, even though it, it takes a huge amount of work. And, um, I'm, I was photographing another, another project. I, you know, I'm busy teaching, um, and doing all those things. It felt so important. And, and that's what I did. I, um, a year, a year ago, April, um, I put together a Kickstarter campaign. I hope to raise $30,000 in 30 days. I raised $45,000, in 30 days. And, um, that, that allowed me to really create a book that was my voice, my, my story. Um, and, and the end of the book, um, has a mini memoir with many of the uh, pieces of ephemera that I saved over the years, my press pass, you know, wanted poster of Mark Rudd, uh, political buttons, um, uh, images that were, were important to that era. Um, and it allowed me to create uh, the, the book as as I wanted it to be. That is, that's great. What a, how, what a uh, what a heartening response to get so much um, positive feedback from people to support your your project. That's really incredible. Um, yeah, no, it was very very satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about the book and uh, a little bit about the way you structured the book. The book starts out. With um, you start out with a brief introduction that's that's uh, which you title kind of uh, 1969, and um, it gives us an overview of that time, and then you move into the pictures. Is there a how do you organize the pictures in the book? Well, this was this was a real structural question, um, and it's and it's really organized in in two uh, two levels. Uh, because I was young, because I started this when I was 18 years old, um, I, I, you know, I didn't have any sense of how you tell how you tell a story. I mean, that even there was a story. I was I was photographing my world. I was photographing 
events that I was curious to go to that, you know, like, what are Nixon people like? I'm going to go to a Nixon rally or um, the, when the POWs came home or uh, in 72, I got credentialed to the Republican convention and then I got credentialed to the inauguration and um, various different the May Day demonstrations in Washington. So there was a kind of timeline of events, obviously, over over four years uh, that I that I did this work. But it was all it was all by accident. Um, and so I wanted to kind of build um, the book in a way that you would start off by getting a sense of what America might have what America looked like during this time. But then um, punctuate America uh, with these political events that were happening, um, keeping to a, keeping to their timeline. Um, and so the singular images of America, uh, which I had many, weren't always, um, in terms of when I shot them, weren't always, uh, it, it, um, you know, in 1969, I probably was mainly shooting um, political activity and wasn't yet going out into America to photograph. That happened a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of organized it with the political events being um, – um, on a on a timeline, and the pictures of America just being interspersed to show what that era was like, and not and not date specific. Um, and 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 then we included at the end of the book a timeline so people could see, um, you know, um, what happened when when you know Shirley, Shirley Chisholm decided to run for president, or when the big um, March for Equality for Women's Liberation happened in New York City and, and so forth. So there is a very specific timeline that, you know, shows when the Watergate broke, break-in happened, etc. Um, so the, the pictures are based on both time but also on um, how they flow. And so, you know, the opening picture is the beach in, in 1969, um, and then it moves uh, from there to you know high school students and uh, a tent revival and and then um, the first picture of kind of the change that's happening is is a photograph of a young a young kid in Athens Ohio with long fla- long hair draped with an American flag and then you begin to see kind of this cultural shift happening which builds then to 1970 the the um, the National Guard coming out and then goes down there to the end of the book, which of course um, I, I believe when the era ended, which is 1974 when Nixon resigns because of Watergate and that's really the last the last picture of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, 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 a clear ending point, a clear punctuation on that time period. Um, and then directly after that you, the, the book moves into some, some text. So, so you described the timeline, which I'm going to, I have a couple of questions about in a moment. Um, but then the, the book moves into some text and it, and the text is kind of prefigured by, um, your, I think it's your Freedom of Information Act, one of your, uh, pages from that file. Yes, that was that was the fun part. Um, mm-hmm. In the in the eighties, I applied under the Freedom of Information Act for my FBI file. Thank you. And um, so the end papers, so the front and back end papers of the book, are pages from my um, FBI file. And then the op- the opening image of the mini memoir is um, the, the image of one of the pages, which 
um, suggests that the FBI not interview me because I work for the underground press and it would prove embarrassing to the uh, agency. <laughs> I'm just I'm just laughing about that right now. I can imagine uh, the moment when that was that was typed out, how how um, non amusing that was, but how amusing it seems to us at this at this point in time. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so the timeline is, I found this really fascinating as someone I, I did not, I was not around during this, the time period that the book, uh, covers. I was born right at the beginning, I guess, of your, of, of, uh, the 1969 timeframe. So your and parents would love this book, right? My parents, is that what you said? Yes. My parents, <laughs> my parents, uh, they were more on the, the conservative side. So they probably would not, they probably wouldn't resonate so much with, (laughs) (laughs) with this book. It's really for, for, uh, you know, more for me in my, in my family. Um, however, what I really like about your timeline is that you literally go day by day, um, in terms of each important events that happened each year. And I'm, and as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, I have a fairly, a fairly good knowledge of, even though I wasn't cognizant at the time that these things were happening, of what happened, um, you know, in the time period. But this is just so specific and really gives an interesting understanding of how events kind of happened in relation to each other. And I'm wondering if that, if you thought about doing this for, if you were considering the audience your audience as you were doing this and maybe why you were so specific about um, going day by day, year by year in terms of building these events. Yes. Yeah, so um, I thought of my audience as, of course, my own generation who are now, you know, getting and old um, for them to look back. And of course um, we, we do forget what happened, you know, day to day. But I also was looking for the future generations of, of like my daughter. My daughter is 21 years old and, um, and, and her friends, and they just love this book. It's, it's really heartwarming. They just love this book because they've heard stories about this. But if you really look out in the media landscape, it's kind of still hidden. Mm-hmm. You know, we still have not examined this period yet. There's no, there's no, I mean, it's fascinating to me. I mean, we're still watching, we're still going to the movies and seeing World War II. Um, or we're seeing now Iraq, you know, there's been a number of, um, you know, Hurt Locker and, and, and so forth about what's happening in the Middle East and the wars. But this whole period has just somehow been skipped over. Um, and there's so much uh, was happening that I felt that um, there were many missing pieces that I didn't photograph because I couldn't get there or they happened very quickly. Um that, that did, in fact, inform why young people, um, you know, created this alternative world, fought back, were in the streets, um, and to have a timeline that would show some of those events, important events, and some unimportant. I mean, most people probably don't know that the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland caught on fire because of pollution, mm-hmm. um, or... Um, you know, uh, the first Earth Day in 1970 or, you know, um, 1971, we have All in the Family on TV. I mean, these were all monumental cultural and political events that kind of informed this period. And so I felt that there were many pieces missing from the photographs and the timeline would kind of inform why 
we did what we did and, and what happened. And it was really fun doing because there were, you know, to choose what to include and what not to include, um, uh, what it was, um, and, and, and seeing things that I had completely forgotten, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. Is uh, that, is that something that's easy to describe? Because I, I would, I would love to know more about what, why some things may have been excluded and some things included in the timeline. Yeah. I mean, it was very personal. Like I wanted to include, you know, um, John Lennon and Yoko Ono in a bed in, in peace in Amsterdam. It, it was a, an important, you know, cultural, cultural moment or, you know, Daniel Ellsberg releasing the Pentagon papers. I mean, there were things that were very, very important to include that everyone would know about. There were other things that, um, you know, weren't, weren't quite as important, but, um, you know, do you include, I mean, for example, in 1970, we had, both Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin dying at 27 years old. I mean, you know, those, those were not political events, but they were big cultural events that, you know, uh, informed, um, you know, my generation and the music of my generation. Sure. Sure. Um, how do you think your photography has changed since uh, this, this time period when you first started? Well, when I look back, I say, darn it, why didn't I take more pictures? You know, I I would step into something and of course you're in it in, in, you know, that moment in your life. And you realize, I mean, I, I realized it was important because I photographed it, but um, I didn't photograph it quite the way I might photograph it today in terms of um, making more, making more pictures. Um, I wish I had photographed the daily things around my life um, of, of what my friends did. And, and because I was part activist and part photographer, my, my cat, I wasn't always, I was, I was an insider. I wasn't an outsider just observing and, and photographing. Um, so, you know, the gatherings of friends where we'd get together to listen to our record players. And I lived in a communal house. I don't think I made any photographs in the communal house I lived in. Um, Cause that was kind of my life, you know, um, so I think maybe today I'd photograph more of that. I'd, I'd have a, a bigger sense of what the story might be or the story I was trying to tell. Um, as I said earlier, I, I had no, I, I mean, I was just photographing. I didn't, I didn't ever think I would be 65 years old and doing a book. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> I was, I was just making photographs now. I'm doing a book, you know, and so I have a theme. I, I pursue an idea. I go out very methodically. I, I try to figure out how the pictures fit together, what pieces I'm missing, what events I might photograph, how I meet people. It's a very, very, and I, and I photograph a lot more. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very different process now than it was when I was a young photographer. And do, and do you take the time to photograph the things around you that you kind of visually and experientially take for granted? You know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Say, well, I, sometimes when I travel, I carry a, a, a digital camera with me just to make snapshots of stuff around me. So I guess, you know, I keep saying I'm going to do a book called the accidental tourist, you know, where I'm just mm-hmm. whenever on vacation, I have a camera and I make a snapshot, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty focused on, um, falling into a theme or an idea and delving into it and really spending time you know, um, trying to tell, trying to understand the story and trying to tell it visually. So I <laughs> probably haven't learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel, I feel like 
personally as that, that I'm a photographer too. Uh, I didn't photograph for a very long time in my life. Those things that were happening around me. And, uh, you know, of course now I completely regret that, but, um, but there's just, it, you, there is a, a level of, you know, where you do take things for granted and you make assumptions about, you know, where that line is of what's important to photograph and then what, you know, is not important to photograph when really, you know, I would love to be able to, as maybe you're kind of describing too, to be more democratic about it, you know, where yes. to, to have an understanding of that everything has equal value, particularly when yes. you're looking at it from this, you know, uh, from the age of 65, say, you know. Yes, and but you know the problem for me is that when I get into the photographer space, I'm very intense and very very focused. And it's bad enough when I go on vacation and bring my camera that my wife says to me, "You're lagging behind." Right. You know, because I'm 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 you know I'm seeing something really interesting when I'm supposed to really be on vacation with my family. Right. Um, that's gotten me into a lot of trouble. In the past. Right. Yes, there's there's a toll no. that, that photography takes on your can take on your relationships in those contexts. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, I had a, a question that was related to that. Oh, about film. You you yes. shoot. You still primarily shoot with film. Is that correct? I do. I still shoot with film. I'm I'm primarily shoot with medium format camera. I'm a Mia six, so that it's a square image, six by six. Um, I just like, you know, there's, there's something, um, that I love about the process. There's something about not uh, constantly looking at the back of my camera to see if I got the image, um, which I do when I shoot with a digital camera. I mean, I do like others. I make a number of pictures and look, um, with the film, um, you can't see, um, so you don't know if you got it. Um, and you keep, if you keep working on it and keep playing with it. And um, I like the mystery of that. I like that when I go into the dark room and develop the film and see and, and pull out the wet negatives off of the, the, the uh, developing out of the developing can. Um, it's, it's just something special about holding, pulling it out and, and one that you actually got something, you know, that it came out. Um, and two, just, just the, the kind of, um, excitement of seeing whether you got an image, um, that works or not. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes there's these wonderful accidents that, um, are the mystery of, of photography. You're, you know, you're in the right place at the right time and you, you do something differently. You move the camera a different way. You experiment, um, and, and I don't know that I would do that as much with a digital camera as, as I do with a film camera. And as I said earlier, the platform is great. I mean, it's, it's stable. I don't have to worry about, you know, a, a new, um, a new uh, operating system right. <laughs> coming, coming in and all of a sudden I can't do the same thing with my photographs. Um, so, but, you know, I have feet, in, you have to have feet in both worlds. So, I mean, I have, it's, it's twice as much work, which is crazy, you know, developing and then making silver prints from the negatives and then scanning the silver prints and scanning the negatives and making digital files, because that's what everyone wants now. Um, it, it's twice as much work, but yeah, I just, I just love film. And, and it is fun being like the only one there with film. <laughs> 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 now, people like, is that film? 
They just look so yes, it's film. Uh, this, there's something really wonderful about that. Do you think the way you describe um, your process in shooting with your with your film camera, it sounds as if the 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 way that you approach it and the challenges of not being able to see. I mean, challenges is of course a subjective way of describing it, but um, the challenges of not being able to see the images, it actually makes you a better photographer because you're trying, you're trying more, you're working harder in that moment. I, I, I think so. I'm sure there'd be lots of photographers who shoot digitally would, would disagree with me, but, but I think so. I think that you're always, um, you never know what's going to happen um, there's always technical issues, you know, I mean, I use a handheld light meter to, to read the light. There's always the mystery. Um, and yeah, I'm constantly working very, very hard and really thinking about, you know, how do I show this moment? How do I see it in a different way? What can I do that I haven't done before? And I don't know if I, if I looked down and saw it and said, oh, I got it, that would be the end of it. And because I can't do that, I just, I think, keep keep pushing to, you know, try to find that, that moment. Um, and sometimes, you know, I get it on the first shot and sometimes that moment is, you know, seven or eight frames or, or two rolls away. Um, and I just, I just keep pushing. Well, that's great. That's great. So, uh, do you use a, 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 um, a classic handheld light meter or do you use an app on your phone that does the, the light meter <laughs> app? <laughs> No, I use a classic Pentax spot meter that has to be 35 years old. Wow. <laughs> wow. I wear it on my neck, you know, the old-fashioned way. Right. That's that's impressive in, in every way. Congratulations. I'm very fast, very fast at it. I'm probably faster at doing that than, you know, using the digital camera. And I, tr- and I actually trust it more because I, you know, from, from decades of, of using it, I just feel... Um, you know, I know what I'm, it's in my head. I know what I'm doing right? Uh, rather than, you know, letting the computer and the camera decide what's in, you know, what, what you should be doing. Right. Right. And do you, do you prefer the quality of the film image? This is, a, I'm sure a question that people must uh, ask you a lot. Do you prefer the quality of that say over digital images at this moment? I, I do. I do. I mean, I'm shooting black and white, so I do. And, and, you know, people often say to me, oh, we shoot digital and we, you know, desaturate the color and to make it black and white, it just doesn't have the feel of film. And it's like, yeah, well, that's, it's not. And I guess there's apps now that you can kind of get the film look, right? Mm-hmm. The Tri-X film look, mm-hmm. but um, there, there's nothing like, like the original. And I also find um, looking at the photographs as I put together a project for me are still easier looking at the analog contact sheets than looking, you know, using Lightroom or photo mechanic on the computer to kind of, to, to edit. Um, and I find that I can go through the contact sheets and maybe see something that I don't immediately kind of flag is something that I think should be included in the project I'm working on. And, and literally two days later, that image will pop up in my head or in the middle of the night, I'll, I'll see that image and I'll go back and, and there it is. Um, so that the process of editing, um, feels much better to me in, in film, um, than it does uh, on the computer. 
Hmm. That's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, well, we've taken up a, a lot of your time here, but before we say goodbye, I, I was wondering if you could tell us what you're working on now. Sure. For the last almost five years, um, I've been looking at America. So it's a very broad project. Um, I, I was uh, about four years ago, I was visiting professor uh, at Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism. Um, and I, so I, I spent the whole semester photographing in New York, and then I went to Detroit, and I traveled all over the U.S. And I'm really looking at, um, you know, it's, it's about income inequality. Um, it, it's about kind of, it's almost like an annual report of how I see America at this moment and what's happening and kind of the demise, um, the demise of America internally. Um, so it's a very, it's a very, uh, big subject. Uh, I'm really, really excited about the work. It's huge right now. I, I'm, I'm editing and sequencing it. And I think I have a hundred and almost 170 photographs, which is kind of crazy. Um, and I'm struggling right now with the ending. The ending is very dark, which I kind of feel, but don't think works yet in the book. So I'm still, I'm pretty much finished shooting, although my last two pieces, um, I went to a Bernie Sanders rally in Stockton last week, and I got a picture I really like from that. And then I'm going to, I've been credentialed to photograph the Republican convention in Cleveland in July. And I'm hoping I'm going to get some images from that that might fit into the, the ending of, of this story. Wow. Lucky you. Yeah. That, that, is, that would be spectacular. We'll be in a spectacular event on many levels. Yeah, it should be very exciting. Sure. Um, how do you see um, text working in this in your in your latest project? You know, I I think I, I haven't figured that part out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it needs some text, but I don't know if it needs a lot of text. I mean, I kind of um, you know sometimes text just uh, as my wife says, they people never read the text, and she says that because she wrote for my last two books uh, <laughs> and. And people see it as a photo book. Um, so I, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to that point where if I'm just going to have someone write a short introduction um, that, that sets the stage and let the pictures tell the story, um, or, I'll have, or I'll have more text talking about income inequality and, and what's happened. But I, but I think people know that pretty much. You know, people live it. Um, so I, I haven't gotten to that point yet. Well, I mean, you're creating a document for the future as well, yes, where the absolutely. landscape will be very, very different from the one that we're currently living in. So, yes. um, you know, so so I hope there there is a little something that contextualizes for those people. Yeah, no, I think I think that is definitely important. I just haven't figured out what that what that be. is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Um, would you mind telling telling uh, our listeners where your where they can find your book? Sure. There's two. I mean, there's a number of places, but uh, directly from me, a, a signed copy. You can go to my website, KenLight.com, and there's a. Uh, you'll see the cover of the book. What's going on? You can't miss it. It's an American flag. You can click on that, um, and that will take you to uh, SquareUp.com. Um, and the URL for SquareUp is SquareUp.com/slash/market/slash/KenLight-photo. Um, so either one of those will will take you. 
Um, obviously, you can go to Amazon. It's the same price. It's unsigned. Um, and if you go to Square Up or to my website, I actually get all the money myself rather than a, you know, a, a small slice that Amazon gives you. Great. So, so we'll include a link to um, Square Up to square up. So, um, so listeners can find that directly through, uh, through our post and, um, and the name of Ken's book, Ken Light's book again is what's going on 1969 to 1974. Thank you so much for your time. It was really wonderful to talk with you and hear all about your book. Thank you. Good luck with your next project, which sounds really, really exciting. I can't wait to see it and see what you on my kickstarter list if i do kickstarter thank you i'll 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 be there first in line (laughs) thank you so much thank you ken okay bye bye